Good Sunday morning, Northgate. It's time for our Sunday teaching. Chosen a little different location. I made myself a new office in our furnace room so you get to enjoy my new office as we get into God's Word. But let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bless His Word this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your love today. I pray that you would teach us, um, Lord, through this book of 1 Samuel. Thank you so much for who you are, Lord, for loving us. Just bless our time. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, this week, we're in 1 Samuel's chapter 4, 5, and 6. You might remember last week we were in 1 Samuel chapter 3 when we talked about listening, learning to listen, obeying, following, and bearing fruit, dwelling in the land God has. As little Samuel learned to hear God's voice and then to obey. And how God was going to use little Samuel, who will become big Samuel, to judge the nation of Israel. Remember, context, we're in the time of the judges just after. And we know that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, which led to disaster, often idolatry and sin. And there's this pattern, as you read through the book of Judges, that carries on into the first part of 1 Samuel, the people living in idolatry or sin, and then God will raise another nation. Here will be the Philistines oppressed. The people will cry out. That's repent in chapter 7. And God will raise up the judge who will be Samuel and bring victory. So in chapters 4, 5, and 6, it's more in the part of God sending that oppression another country. And that country is the Philistines. Now we've heard of the Philistines before with the judges with Samson. You might remember they were the arch rival. So what happens is Israel goes to battle in chapter 4 and you can read it and they lose. But what they do next is rather curious. They bring the Ark of the Covenant into the camp. They get quite emotional. They shout. They're quite loud about it. And they go after the enemy who's wondering what's going on, maybe a little afraid because of what the Ark represents. But the Philistines absolutely destroy the Israelites. They capture the Ark. They steal the Ark. Eli, whose two sons, Hothnius and Phinehas, had taken the Ark and marched it into battle, both die, but there was a prophecy against them. And we heard that in chapter 2 and chapter 3 through little Samuel. And Eli himself dies. It's an awful moment, but God has planned this out because he's raising Samuel to judge the people. The people will repent and turn to him and eventually have victory. It's interesting as the ark now is in the possession of the Philistines in chapter 5 that God doesn't need any help. And he actually destroys a great number of Philistines and wreaks havoc and pain and judgment upon them just with the ark being in their presence. They are so fearful and afraid in seeing the consequences that they actually build a cart, get some new calves, and send the ark back to Israel. And that's in chapter 
6. The people worship and rejoicing the ark come back. But there's a little curious part that they look in, these men of the city, and they are killed for looking at the holy things in the ark. So basically what you have there is chapter 4, 5, and 6. Philistines come, defeat. Israel revamps, gets the ark, goes against them, loses again. Ark captured by the Philistines. The ark, the presence of God, causes damage and sent back. And that's the end of chapter 6. So what can we pull out of this? And... Uh, I was actually excited to to look into this. Obviously, the Ark is a big factor in this whole story. The Ark of the Covenant. Well, what was the Ark? The Ark was a little box, uh, uh, three feet by two feet, three feet, two feet high. So three, two, and two high. It was covered in gold. It was on top of it. There was something called the mercy seat. And we know from the book of Hebrews that the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and Aaron's budding rod were in there called the holy things. The ark usually sat in the tabernacle. You might remember if you've done any studies on the tabernacle, or I'll tell you it was the place of worship. Outside they would do the sacrifices for the people. Then you'd have the holies where you would have the showbread and the incense burning where the priests would go in and out. And then you'd have the Holy of Holies where the ark stood with the cherubim over it. And once a year, the priest would go in to offer uh, some blood from the sacrifice on the mercy seat. It really represented God's presence for the people. It was the place where they worshipped, the place where they saw God move. It's really neat now that we move past the old into the new. Obviously, we don't need an ark because God's presence is available to us today. But what can we learn from this God's presence and what the Israelites were thinking? Well, first and foremost, I find it really interesting that they took the ark into battle to gain victory. Almost, they took God into their battle to bring them victory. And you think, well, yeah, sure, why not? Why, why wouldn't we do that? But it was almost like it was, how should I explain it, a good luck charm. We lost our lives. We're not trying to follow God. We're not trying to live for God. We're living in sin, doing what we want to do. But we're going to bring God in our life, hoping then that he'll turn things around. Do you know how often people then, they see Christianity as this. I'm going to add God to my life so he can make me successful in this world. Oh, yeah, if I do this and God be a part of this and God, I need you here. Oh, God, help here. God, help my business. God, uh, help me at work. And are these things wrong? No. But if that's how we view God, almost as a lucky charm, I'm using him to gain advantage in my life as the Israelites were doing in, let's bring the ark. 
Let's bring God into the camp. Let's bring his presence. We have no interest in, in living for him. But let's bring him in and then we'll get the victory. And it doesn't work that way. You know, it's more that we join into God's plan than asking him to be a part of our plans. And I think in modern day Christianity, somehow we're being misled to think that God's all about blessing us here on earth. Well, I certainly believe that God will bless us, but our role is to worship and to become a part of his plan. We want to live for him. We want to live lives of holiness. We want to ask the Lord, how can we enter into what you have for us? Not God join me. No, my life is Christ. We know Paul said that in the New Testament. It's not like Christ be a part of my life. No, I live for Christ. What a beautiful thing. To live is all about him and his purpose. I follow him in whatever I do. Not my good luck charm I take with me to be successful. Because in the end, it's all about Jesus. And maybe, could I ask you today? Are you trying to bring God into what you do so you would be successful just for the fact of gaining praise? Or are you truly just living for him and giving him praise? You see, the center of it all is, am I focused on myself or am I focused on him? And I think it even goes deeper to an identity question. Is it all about me and what I do? Is that my identity or is my identity in Christ completely living for him? We don't want to take God's presence to gain success. We want God's presence to be a part of our lives all the time. And we want to do what he says. I just get really excited about that because I think that's a challenge for me. And that's a challenge for you. Well, secondly, I just see it very clear that God doesn't need any human strategy or a human purpose to bring forth his victory. Amen. And I'm not trying to make anyone feel less uh, important or that God can't use you. But the reality is when the ark is in the land of the Philistines, they bring it into their God, which was Dagon, half fish, half man. And they worshiped this God and they brought it into Dagon's house. And over the night, the ark was in there. And what happened in the morning, if you read in chapter 5, there for Samuel, their God had fallen to the ground. And they put their God up again. The next morning, fallen to the ground. All the people in the city then started to become sick with disease. And they would send the ark to the next Philistine city. To the next Philistine city. And over and over till they say, we cannot, we cannot be in God's presence. You see, there's no created thing, no idol, including ourselves, that can stand against our creator. He is worthy of all our praise. Holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, it really does take a lot of pressure off us as well. We don't have to think of some great strategy. It's not dependent upon us. And sometimes we're so dejected that maybe we fail or succeed. And oh no, what is God going to do? God's going to be just fine. And God's in complete control. And you don't have to worry. You simply have to trust in the Creator. You need to worship Him and simply make Him your life and follow Him. You know, oftentimes people say, Christians aren't doing enough. Christians aren't doing enough. And I certainly would love that we all do what God has called us to do. But God, in the end, does not need us. He uses us. He's happy to do that. But don't worry. He's in control and he's sovereign and he will accomplish his purposes for his glory. Finally, just the last little point I wanted to talk about with the ark in these chapters is why when the people, it was sent back and they worship, they take the cart and they make a fire, they burn the calves uh, to sacrifice as they would in the Old Testament. We don't do that now, but they open the lid and they die. Something like, like I thought of that and I thought, God, like, why would you do that? Like, why would you do that? Maybe I'm not the only one who ever thinks that. But it's interesting because in Numbers chapter 4, verse 20, it says, No man should take the lid off the ark and look at the holy things. We know in the Old Testament that no one could look on the presence of God. Even Moses in Exodus chapter 40 has to hide in the cleft of the, the mountain as God's presence, his glory, his goodness passed. He couldn't stand in the midst of the holiness and the perfection of God. The holy things in the ark, the law, God's supernatural provision and protection, the rod and the manna. And, you know, where does that leave us? In reading this week in different commentaries, it just came so clearly to me that we are so blessed. And here's the encouraging point, And here's what we rest our hat on. And here's what we praise God for. That Jesus Christ gives the mercy and the grace we need to enter the presence of God. Here it is. Without Christ, if we open the mercy lid seat, if we open it, not believing and trusting in God's mercy, and we look at the law without the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, we certainly will be in trouble as well. But with that mercy, which it says in James, triumphs over judgment. See, the mercy seat sits on top of the law. Praise God, because that's Jesus Christ for us. You know, in Hebrews, it says we can enter into the presence of God boldly. We can go, not worried, knowing we're going to look at the holiness of God because of Jesus, his sacrifice and his blood and his mercy in our life. 
And in Hebrews, we can go and receive grace and mercy. You see, don't ever look at the holiness of God without the mercy and grace of Christ. But as we believe, we are set free to enter into the presence, the glory, the goodness of God. Absolutely amazing. And that's why the Holy of Holies, where the ark was, when Jesus died, there was a veil from tabernacle to temple, and it was rent, it was ripped up the bottom in two, and we have entry into the presence, into the holiness of God through the death, the grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. The foundation of all we do, the foundation of everything is God's grace. Years ago, I had a dream I was building in the backyard. And I don't know why I had that dream and that vision and I thought about it for a long, long time. And over and over, God has said, you're a builder. You're building. You're building church with others, servants at Northgate. We're building a spiritual body, a spiritual foundation. And I can remember, even when I thought about that, that God made it specific in that vision as we build, we build in grace. We build in the mercy of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is the foundation, the cornerstone of anything we do. Can't build on the law, folks, because we can't look at the law. We build on Christ and his love and his grace. It was just last week that someone mentioned to me, Dan, you're not done building. It was an encouraging word. And again, that thought as I studied this week, continue to build in the mercy of Christ, in his presence, in his grace, and it will bear much fruit because without it, there'll be spiritual death. There won't be growth. In it is complete growth. And we need to walk understanding that grace, not looking at the law, not judging people in the law, but looking at them as the way that Christ looks us as we believe in him in grace and share that with others. It's the goodness of God that leads men, women, people to repentance. And we can share it, but we have to believe it and live in it and build our lives on the cheap cornerstone that will not be moved, Christ. I think it's amazing that God can do it by himself. He's just utterly holy and amazing, so beautiful. He's not something we bring into our lives, but we build the foundation that Jesus is our life. His grace is our foundation. And in that, we will have growth. Be encouraged. And maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today in his grace. I encourage you, he loves you. Turn to him. 
in your heart, in your thoughts. Maybe you've drifted and it's all about your works and your ability and you're either distraught because you're not doing enough or you're judging because other people aren't. Focus on Christ, his mercy triumphs, his grace is good and you can enter into his presence today, amen, and receive that grace and mercy. Go with boldness today, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Oh man, we would be dead without your mercy sitting on top. We can't stand in the law. We can't stand in your great holiness. Only Jesus allows us to. And we give you praise, Jesus, and we want to live for you. Amen. Have a great week. Be encouraged. Keep building in God's grace, and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.